They are who we thought they were. That was a famous quote by Dennis Green back in 2006, and I feel like it applies to the Ohio State football team, Griffin, because we were asked last week, is the defense now the strength of Ohio State's football team? And I'm glad we didn't say that it was because I think Saturday night's game against Purdue showed us what we thought this team was, which team that's really good on offense and is still vulnerable on defense. As we saw Ohio State roll to a 59-31 to win over Purdue on Saturday night. Not a great performance for the defense, but certainly a fantastic performance by the offense. This is a game that made the last two games for Ohio State, obviously the Penn State and Nebraska games, particularly frustrating if you're watching that as an Ohio State fan because you're thinking, man, we've just seen what this offense can do. We've seen the ceiling for this offense, and why are we seeing it struggle so much against these teams? And Purdue had a pretty highly ranked defense, especially against the pass. I believe it was number 15 in the country coming in. And those numbers meant absolutely nothing in this game because C.J. Stroud and his wide receiver core had just an absolute field day against the Boilermakers on Saturday. Yeah, C.J. Stroud had what, in my opinion, was probably his best game as a Buckeye yet. He went 31 of 38 for 361 yards and five touchdowns. And if you look at the sports books right now, most of them have C.J. Stroud as the Heisman frontrunner. So that's how well C.J. Stroud played on Saturday night. And with a couple big games coming up here against Michigan State and Michigan, it feels like C.J. Stroud's got a real chance to potentially seize a hold of his Heisman race. Dan, a couple of games ago, it might have been during the Nebraska game, I actually turned and said to you during the game, do you still think you're headed to New York for that trip for the Heisman uh, ceremony? After this game, I think it's it seems pretty safe that C.J. Stroud is probably, barring some unforeseen catastrophes at the end of the season, probably headed to, that, to, to New York for that Heisman uh, finalist spot, kind of no matter what happens at this point. Yeah, I was taking a look the last couple days at hotels in New York and was being reminded of how uh, much of a nightmare it can be to find a reasonably priced hotel that is bigger than a closet for that trip to New York. So that will be fun. But yeah, I I do think there's a good chance that I will be going to New York for the Heisman ceremony because I think C.J. Stroud has put himself right in that position where he's got a chance to not only be a finalist for that award, but to be the winner of that award. Another guy who got some Heisman talk after Saturday night was Garrett Wilson because Garrett Wilson had an absolutely phenomenal game against Purdue. He caught 10 passes for 126 yards, which are both season highs. He also had three receiving touchdowns and a 51-yard rushing touchdown, becoming the first player in Ohio State history to ever have three receiving touchdowns and a rushing touchdown in the same game. When you compare what Garrett Wilson did on Saturday to how the offense struggled without him one week earlier, I think it's become very clear over the last two weeks how valuable Garrett Wilson is to this Ohio State offense. And specifically, if you look at what he can do with the ball in his hands in terms of run-after-catch capabilities, because, Dan, there had to be three or four times when Garrett Wilson absolutely shattered a Boilermaker secondary members ankles during that game he was doing some crazy things with the ball in his hand especially on that fourth touchdown where he's just shifting all over the place he was talking a lot on Tuesday about just his inherent and intrinsic athleticism because he's played soccer in the past he's played 
He said he did gymnastics too. He's a, a flexible guy. All that stuff kind of showed on the field on Saturday because this guy was doing some crazy things with the ball in his hands and finally had, I think we were just talking about the podcast recently, how Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave have kind of stopped short sometimes of having that just massive monster game Jackson Smith and Jigba had the other week. But then Garrett Wilson comes back and has exactly that and just a career best performance for him. And that 51-yard rushing touchdown, I mean, nobody really saw that coming. And it was just an unbelievable performance from the Texas native. When I think about what my last call prediction is going to be this week, I'm thinking about going with Chris Olave having a monster game because it feels like he's due now. We saw Jackson Smith and Jigba have the huge game against Nebraska. We saw Garrett Wilson have the huge game uh, this past week against Purdue. And that's kind of brought up a fun debate that a lot of people have been having this week. And that's who is Ohio State's best wide receiver? Because, I mean, first of all, let's just say this. This is the best receiving core Ohio State has ever had, period. Like, there's no need to even qualify it. It is. Unless Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave gets hurt or just suddenly becomes a non-factor in the offense, which would obviously be a huge surprise, most likely all three of those guys are going to finish the season with 1,000 receiving yards. Before this year, Ohio State had only had five 1,000-yard receivers in history. So to have three guys who are doing what those guys are doing, it's unbelievable. But I think one reason this debate came up was because on Tuesday, Chris o- or Monday, I should say, Chris Olave was named as a semifinalist for the Bolitnikoff Award, which I think we would both agree Chris Olave is very deserving of being a semifinalist for the Bolitnikoff Award. He's currently tied for the national lead with... 11 receiving touchdowns. He's obviously a phenomenal player who's going to go down as one of Ohio State's best wide receivers in history. Yet, if you look at the stats right now, he's third on the team in catches, third on the team in receiving yards. So you could make the case that Chris Olave has only been Ohio State's third best receiver this year. But what say you, Griffin? Who is Ohio State's best wide receiver? It's really hard not to be a prisoner of the moment right now, right? Because Garrett Wilson, after that performance, you just got to be like, man, is he the actually the best Ohio State wide receiver? But you have to think, you have to slow down for a minute and think about kind of what Ryan Day was saying on Tuesday, which was teams have come into the season saying, you get, you're going to have to beat us with another guy because we're going to take Chris Olave out of the picture. And a lot of teams have been game planning around stopping Chris Olave because of what he's done in the past several seasons. But then you got to throw in Jackson Smith and Jigba as well. I mean, look at what that guy's doing and what look at what he could still do. Think about next year. And he's the guy that's actually leading the team in receiving yards, he's the first one out of that mix to actually have a thousand yard receiving season, which seems incredible to say, but they actually could all end up having a thousand yard seasons. I, it's really, I still think I would have to pick between Alave and Wilson just because we've seen a more of a body of work out of those guys. But right now, just coming off the heels of that game, it'd be hard for me to go against Wilson as a guy that I'm really looking at as probably the best receiver in Ohio State's room. I think I'd say Wilson, too. What what Saturday really showed us was just how versatile Garrett Wilson is. All four of those touchdowns, he did different things on those plays that made made him special. Again, he's a guy, he can take a handoff on a jet sweep and he can run for a touchdown. He can make a big play down the field. He can make defenders miss in the open field. He he has so many different tools in, in his toolbox that... I think he's the most versatile of those three guys. But at the same time, like I do think it's funny how the way some people have talked about this week, it's like it's so obvious that Garrett Wilson is the best guy in the room. Because I think a week ago at this time, a lot of people might have been saying 
Jackson Smith and Jigba was the best guy in a room because he had an absurd performance against Nebraska. And I think at the start of a year, a lot of people, including myself, probably would have said Chris Olave's the best guy in that room. I think they're all unique in their own ways. I really do. I think Smith and Jigba is an absolutely perfect guy for that slot position they've got him playing this year. I think he's such a good route runner, very shifty in the open field, excellent hands. I I think he's perfect for that role and I think moving Wilson outside and, and putting Smith and Jigba in the slot, slot has upgraded both positions there. And then I think Olave, he's still the home run threat. He's still the guy who I think is, is the most likely to, to make a big play down the field. And Ryan Day made the point on Tuesday, as you mentioned, but you know a lot of teams are trying to take Chris Olave away. A lot of teams are putting two defenders on Chris Olave, and that's opening up more opportunities for Jackson Smith and Jigba and Garrett Wilson. So I think one thing that's important to say is that all three of these guys make each other better because if a defense tries to take one guy away, they're going to get burned by the other two. And so they all make each other better. They're all contributing to each other's success. You could look at it as, oh, they're taking touches away from each other, but really they're all making each other better because they're all making it harder for a defense to lock in on any one of them. But I think they're all, I think they all have special skill sets. I think if any one of them were to miss a game like Wilson did, I think that would be noticeable. I mean, I just think back to last year's Big Ten Championship game when Chris Olave wasn't able to play in that game. They clearly missed him in that game. So I think if you took him out of a lineup for a game, I think that would take something away from the offense. I think with what Jackson Smith and Jigba has become at this point, certainly if you took him out of the game, that would have an impact on the offense. But I think together we're, we're talking about a trio that's the best in college football right now. It's the best Ohio State's ever had. And it very well could be one of the best we've ever seen in college football. Just in support of both of our picks there, just think about the success that Gary Wilson's had both in the slot and on the outside for Ohio State and switching back and forth each year of his three seasons. And the fact that he's had the level of success that he's had just kind of goes to show how versatile he is and the wide receiver he is, yeah, a complete wide receiver. If I had to receiver. rank him, i go Wilson, Olave, Smith, and Jigba. But that is no slight at all on Jackson, Smith, and Jigba because I think Jackson, Smith, and Jigba is phenomenal and I think ahead to next year when Olave and Wilson are most likely both going to be in the NFL. And I think Jackson Smith and Jigba could put up some absurd numbers next year. We've talked about the good for Ohio State from the Purdue game, and there was certainly a lot of that, Dan. Let's get into some of the bad, though, here, because a lot of fans, a lot of even when we were talking about that, I was reading a story about how good the offense was on Saturday. But a lot of people were replying to me and saying, I don't care because look at what, what happened to the defense. And of course, this has been a, a recurring topic a lot, but the past few games with people asking us, like we already talked about, is the defense actually a strength of Ohio State? Well, we saw on Saturday that there are still some problems specifically with the pass defense for Ohio State. And that it wasn't just the secondary because there was some pass rush stuff mixed in with that as well. So we're seeing some vulnerabilities in the Ohio State defense. But Dan, we also kind of knew that this was going to be potentially the case with this matchup because Purdue came in with a very high-powered pass attack, the eighth best in the nation coming into the game, and they ended up with 390 yards from Aiden O'Connell alone, four four touchdowns, no turnovers. 52 pass attempts, though, is definitely going to test that group a lot. David Bell ends up with 100 yards. But what did you see from the Ohio State pass defense, and are you as concerned about what we saw on Saturday as it seems like a lot of Ohio State fans are coming out of that performance? Yeah, well, I think first of all, Again, I feel like I make this play every single week, but if you're one of those fans out there who 
could not enjoy a 28-point win over a ranked opponent because the defense didn't play great, then you need to take a deep breath. You need to enjoy the season as it plays out because by all accounts, that was a great win. To go out there and, and, and dominate Purdue, the game never being in any doubt, it, it was a great win for Ohio State. And so enjoy the win. Don't allow every little thing that goes wrong to prevent you from ever enjoying an Ohio State football game. At the same time, I'm certainly not denying that this is a concern because I, I think, to me, this year's team, it's starting to resemble more and more than last year's team. And that, okay, we've got another, it's another lead offense. The run defense is playing really well, but the pass defense has become the clear weakness of this team. Right now, Ohio State is ranked 108th nationally in passing yards allowed per game. Now, Part of that is because they typically have the lead in the game and teams are throwing the ball a lot against them, never more than Purdue this past Saturday. So it's just like when we're going to talk about Michigan State and them being dead last in the country and passing yards allowed. Doesn't necessarily mean they have the worst passing defense. It means they don't have a good passing defense, but it doesn't mean they have the worst. It just means teams are throwing the ball against them a lot. And so that's a part of the equation here. And it, Certainly was on Saturday, but I, I think certainly right now you can look at this team in a similar way to where we were last year. Of uh, This is a team that's capable of beating anybody. This is a team that's capable of winning a national championship, but is the pass defense going to be the thing that prevents this team from winning a championship? Because it was last year. I think it's certainly a valid concern to be in that position again. And I think to me, I think the stat that really popped out to me was when I looked at the advanced stats on pro football focus and Ohio state had only one quarterback pressure against Purdue for context. Ohio state hasn't had fewer than 10 quarterback pressures in any ever game this season. So to only have one quarterback pressure when the opponent threw the ball 52 times, that's an extremely low number. And so I don't think it can be simply excused as, well, Aiden O'Connell threw the ball faster than any other quarterback they faced this year. That is part of it. That is part of it. And that is a big reason why they didn't get pressure on a lot of plays. But to only get one quarterback pressure the entire game, I think no matter who you're facing, no matter how fast they're throwing the ball, that's not good enough. The thing I would say, though, too, is I think you do have to keep in mind the way this game played out because Ohio State was up 35 to 7, 17 minutes into the game. And then they played pretty vanilla on defense for the rest of the game. They, 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 they were playing soft coverage. They were basically trying not to give up big plays. And so I don't think the defense was playing to its full capability there in, in the second, third, and fourth quarters. Now, that's not to say that it's okay to give up 31 points or to give up 386 yards or whatever the final total was because obviously Ryan Day said this on Tuesday, Ohio State holds itself to a high standard and so it wants to play better than that. It it wants to dominate the game for four quarters. It doesn't want to let the other team back into it at all. But I do think those are things that are worth considering and that before you totally panic and before you call the defense pathetic and hopeless – Think think about the way the game played out there and the fact that Ohio State wasn't necessarily playing as aggressive as it normally would in the past defense 
because it did have a big lead and it was basically just trying to stop Purdue from making big plays that would quickly allow them back into the game. If there's a positive spin on that side of things with the pass rush, it's that the pass rush had actually been playing great the last couple of games. They had like five sacks in each of the past couple of games. They actually had gone all the way up to being one of the very top teams in the country in terms of total sack production on the season entering that game. But I think, like you said, the, the reason for pause there is the, why do we not see the consistency with the pass rush? Because at times we have called upon guys like Zach Harris and Tyree Smith. Why are they not getting these sacks? Why are they not getting home? And so we're kind of seeing that rear its head again a little bit here. But again, like you said, with the State having such a big lead early, that definitely factored in as well. A question though, Dan, for multiple listeners, molded into one question here, will Purdue's passing offense be the best that Ohio State faces all year? I'm going to say no, just because I just believe the ceiling for a team like Alabama and what it can do with Jamison Williams and Bryce Young and that pass attack. Ohio State could very well play Alabama this year, and I'm not going to compare the Purdue pass attack favorably to that one in any universe. Yeah, I think it's a fair question because statistically, Purdue is right behind Ohio State in, in national pass offense rankings. They're seventh in the country. The top five teams, Western Kentucky, Virginia, Mississippi State, Nevada, and Pitt are teams that are Ohio State is not going to play this year, but I agree with you. I think if you're just talking about the full ability of what a, a team can be, I think if you look at a potential college football playoff matchup with Alabama, that's one. I mean, Oklahoma might be out of it, but they're a team that could still potentially get in there. The commenters who asked the question, they brought up the points of like Georgia and Oregon. Those are not teams that have high-powered pass offenses. So it's possible, depending on the way this thing plays out, that Ohio State could have a run to the national championship game where it doesn't face an, an, an elite passing offense. That being said, I think the team they're playing this week, Michigan State, has a pretty good passing offense too. So we'll talk about that here in, in just a moment as we start to preview this top 10 game coming up this weekend. But you know, to me, I think really my big takeaway from a Purdue game is, again, going back to what we started the show with, is they are who we thought they were. I think this, I'm not, again, I'm not saying the offense is going to be perfect every week, but I think to see them have that kind of performance against a higher quality opponent in Purdue, I think was huge for the offense to really get back on track. But I also think I mean, the opposite side of that is, yeah, I mean, I think what we already probably should have known to be true is going to be true of it. If this is a team that, needs to rely on its defense to keep the score low to win big games, it's probably going to be in trouble. And so I think the fear a lot of fans have right now is, okay, we've seen two bad games in a row for the offense against Penn State and Nebraska. Now we've seen a bad game for the defense against Purdue. It's if those two things happen in the same game, that's probably going to be it for this Ohio State team. That's probably going to be the recipe for a loss. I think the good news is I think if this offense plays the way it's played in most of its games this season, they don't need the offense to be great. They just need it to be good enough. They don't, if the offense can play the way it played against Purdue, they don't need the defense to be dominant. They just need it to be good enough so that Ohio State can pull away by scoring a lot of points. It's if that offense has another off day, and the defense plays like it did against Purdue, that's where things get concerning. And I get it because 
I mean, every game you're playing the rest of the year is a game where if things go wrong, you can lose. And so I get the concern, but I, I also think it is worth keeping in mind that the defense doesn't necessarily need to be dominant for Ohio State to accomplish its goals. It just needs to be good enough. And at least on Saturday, it was. All right, Dan, let's move ahead and talk about some Michigan State stuff here as we get ready for this Saturday's Big Ten East clash in Columbus. I think we can both probably say that when we were looking at this game in the offseason, we did not anticipate it being quite as big and important. Obviously, it's always going to be important because every game in college football is important. But in terms of the threat level for Ohio State, that has definitely been ratcheted up significantly, especially after the Penn State game with the the losses that Penn State had going into that one kind of took some bite out of that game. This is now that finally we're at that game. We're like, okay, now this one, this is the real test, even though that's been said before this season. But this is the real test for Ohio State here, despite being favored by what's the line on 19 points as of Tuesday afternoon, 19 points, which does seem a little bit crazy. But we were saying the same thing last week when Ohio State ended up beating Purdue by 28 when they were favored by a similar margin. What are your initial thoughts here looking at this matchup? And obviously the, the nation's leading rusher in Kenneth Walker being potentially the top running back in the entire country. Yeah, point spread aside. I mean, this is as big as it gets here. This is two top 10 teams playing for the Big Ten East and a potential college football playoff berth. Both of these teams come into this game with nine and one records. Both of these teams control their destiny at this point. If, if, if either of these teams, we're recording before the college football playoff rankings come out, but I, I think we can assume they're both going to be in the top seven in, in some way, shape, or form. And Uh, To me, both of these teams, if they win out, they are in the college football playoffs. So this game is as big as it gets. I know we were joking earlier about there was a question at the press conference today about not looking ahead to next week's game against Michigan. Yeah, next week's a big game. We're going to have a lot to talk about next week of uh, the game coming up. There's no reason to be looking ahead right now. Right now, all the focus has to be on beating Michigan State because this is a really good team. I mean, to me... This might be, especially offensively, the most complete team that we've seen Ohio State go against. In terms of, like like you mentioned, Kenneth Walker, the leading rusher in college football, an elite running back. We've seen Ohio State's run defense play really well, but this is going to be the biggest test of the year. Certainly the biggest test since those first two games of the year against Minnesota and Oregon. So it, it's a huge test for a run defense, and it's a test for the pass defense too because Peyton Forn has played good football this year. Jaden Reed's a good receiver. There is some question about whether Jalen Naylor will be healthy for this game. That could certainly make a big difference as he is one of their top two receivers, but this is a team that's that's played really well on the offensive side of a ball. Certainly has the potential to score plenty of points on Ohio State if the defense does not play well. And then you look at the defense, certainly where Michigan State looks very vulnerable is against the pass. And when you look at Michigan State being dead last in passing yards allowed this season, and then you think about what Ohio State's doing in the passing game, if that has the recipe to be a really bad day for Michigan State's pass defense, at the same time, I think those numbers are a little bit misleading because teams have thrown the ball against Michigan State pretty much pretty significantly more than any other team this year, and that's in part because their run defense has been really good. And so, you know, this is going to be a challenge for Ohio State on both sides of the ball. I think 
you go into this game, and I think what you like about it from Ohio State's perspective is if, if, they, if they can stay hot in the passing game, the, they should be able to get the better of this Michigan State defense. And if, if they could make a lot of plays in the passing game, the rest might not matter that much. But I do think this is going to be a test for the run game. I think it's going to be a bigger test than Purdue was. And so I think uh, they're going to have something to prove there. Again, could this be one of those games where we see put Ohio State put up a lot of yards, but maybe struggle a little bit to finish drives on the ground? I think that's possible. And then I think the other side of the ball, it, it really is. It's going to come down to how well can you stop Kenneth Walker? Because I think if, if Ohio, I think if Ohio State can force Michigan State to have to beat them through the air, that's going to be a good day for the defense. I, I don't go into this game as a game where I think Ohio State can limit Michigan State to 17 points or something like that. I think Michigan State's going to score some points. But I think if you can force them to make plays for the air, you wrote about I think Peyton Florence had an interception in what? His last five consecutive games? And so... I mean, if you can force Michigan State to have to beat you from the air, they're probably going to make some mistakes. You're probably going to have some opportunities to make big plays. And that's the re- that could be the recipe for success. I think where this game potentially goes wrong for Ohio State is if you can't stop Kenneth Walker, and then if in turn you can't finish drives on the ground. What this kind of reminds me of a little bit is, do you remember just two years ago when Ohio State kind of locked down Jonathan Taylor for Wisconsin and then going into the Big Ten Championship game rematch, I think a lot of people were feeling very confident that Ohio State could just do that again because their their defensive line had been so good. But the thing is, just because you've had a, a defensive line that's that shut down the run for a, lo- a large period of the, of the season does not guarantee anything in the actual game in terms of one huge run could really change the momentum in that run game. And we saw in that Big Ten Championship game, right early off the bat, Jonathan Taylor had like a 60-yard touchdown run or something like that. And I think as good as Ohio State has looked against the run, that guarantees you nothing when it comes to Kenneth Walker and the fact that he could bust a big one on that team. And kind of on on the same line there, Buckeye Trapped in South asks us, he is reminded of a different game, Dan, when we're talking about this one, which is the Ohio State-Michigan State 2015 game. Not one I think that Ohio State fans will be too fond of thinking about, but he, he says, I'm having flashbacks to the 2015 Ohio State losing the Michigan game. Should I have such a concern or why is my fear of another 2015 game here wrong, Dan? Do you have any thoughts on that subject? Well, I think it's an apt comparison because it's It's a very similar situation to 2015 where, again, second to last game of the year, final home game of the year for Ohio State, both of these teams are playing for a berth in the college ball playoff and a Big Ten East title. So the stakes of this game are very similar. So we've talked a lot this year about parallels you can draw to past seasons. We've talked about 2014 and 2017. Of course, last week we were talking a lot about a repeat of 2018 against Purdue, which obviously did not happen. Now it's about trying to avoid that against Michigan State, trying to rewrite that history. I think if you're looking for a reason to feel confident that it's different, I think that 2015 team was different and that that was one of those teams that pretty clearly underachieved all year long. And you just kind of felt all year long like they were getting by with not playing great football and it finally caught up to them in that game. I think this is a different team where I think this is a team that's, yeah, they've had their bumps in the road here, but 
I think they've legitimately gotten better as the year has progressed. They've already had that loss and they've learned from it. And so I think this is a different team. I think it's a I think it's an apt concern to have. I mean, I've also seen some people bring up 98. That's another game that for longer time, Ohio State fans, I'm not going to pretend I watched the 98 game, and I don't think <laughs> you did either. But yeah, I know for longer time, Ohio State fans, that's a game they always remember as a late season Ohio State, Michigan State game that they would like to have back. And so I, I totally get why Ohio State fans have some concerns going into this game. And I think they probably should. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm not going. I'm not going to sit here and, and save it. There's no chance Michigan State beats Ohio State. But this is going to be an easy win for the Buckeyes. I I really don't see it that way in this game. I think Michigan State is a really good team. I think Ohio State is the better team. I think Ohio State is the more talented team. And so I think if Ohio State plays the way it should be able to on both sides of the ball, I I think Ohio State could win this game decently convincingly, but I won't be surprised at all if this is a game that ends up being a real uh, four-quarter battle. And so I think Ohio State's got to be prepared for that, a game that could come down to the wire, and I think they've uh, really got to execute well uh, on both sides of the ball on Saturday to ensure that they come out of this game with a win. You say decently convincingly, Decent, decently convincingly? Is that what we said? That sounds wrong coming out off my tongue. But Dan, Ohio State's a 19-point favorite. What do, do you think they cover? And just how convincingly do you think Ohio State could win this game if, in fact, you were predicting a Buckeye win here? Yeah, I'm going to go no cover. Now, I went no cover last week, so what does that mean? I mean, what does my prediction mean for anything? But I do, it is a second straight week where I feel like, okay, this spreads a little bit high for what I want. I think this game in some ways is going to be similar to last week in that I think both teams are going to pass for a lot of yards again. (laughs) Because again, uh, you look at two teams that have not been great in pass defense. I I think both offenses are going to make their share of plays, and I think this is going to be a high-scoring game. I've kind of seesawed a little bit on where I'm going with the score prediction for this one, but I'm thinking something like 45 to 31. I I think... I don't think Ohio State's going to be able to score the ball quite as easily as it did last week against Purdue. I I do think Michigan State is going to get its share of points, and I think this is going to be more of a legitimately competitive game than last week's was. But I do think that ultimately Ohio State has more in a game that could potentially become a passing shootout. Ohio State's always going to have an advantage in those games because it has the best receiving core and and maybe the best quarterback in the country. And so I I think that's reason to feel good about Ohio State in this game. And if Ohio State tops 50 in this game, it it wouldn't shock me. Uh, If Ohio State has a 200-yard receiver in this game, it wouldn't shock me. If C.J. Stroud becomes the first Ohio State quarterback to ever throw for 500 yards in a game, that wouldn't shock me because – I do think this is a game where Ohio State is going to pass the ball a lot. I I have a feeling this is going to be one of those games where Ohio State maybe has a little bit of trouble on the ground and where there's probably people in my Twitter mentions going, we need to run the ball, we need to run the ball, because I think Ohio State's going to pass the ball a lot in this game. But I I, I think that ultimately in in a game that I think could be a a high-scoring shootout, I think that will ultimately favor Ohio State. 
I could really see this coming down to the wire. I could really see this being a good game. And my, my initial inclination on a score was something like a 42-35, but, but I'm holding out for the possibility that I change that, amend that to a 45-35 type of deal for a 10-point win. Just because last week I, I was certain that Ohio State was not going to win by as many points as they ended up beating Purdue by. And they ended up surprising me because, again, off, off the heels of those two performances, those two iffy performances going into last week. They just kind of scared me a bit. So there's still a possibility that we could see that version of the Ohio State offense. There's no guarantee that we're going to see the you know mothership offense every time for Ohio State. But I do think they're going to put up points against this Michigan State team. I think Michigan State's going to have success on offense as well just because they can do things so well on, on both levels, even if the passing game isn't quite the same as a Purdue. I'm going to go with either a 10 or a 7-point win for Ohio State in a high-scoring game. What is your level of confidence that Ohio State will actually win this game? I'm confident that Ohio State will win the game, but I, I, I could definitely see this being a game that in the fourth quarter we're going, oh, this is a game. This is a game right here. An, an old school Big Ten or a new school Big Ten game that features a lot of high-powered offense in a cold November environment in Columbus at the Horseshoe. Yeah, I'm at like 80%. Like I, I think Ohio State will win. I'm reasonably confident in that. Vegas seems reasonably confident in that with the point spread, but it's certainly not a game that I look past as one that could potentially be a threat for Ohio State. Side note, Dan, Saturday is senior day for Ohio State. So for many Buckeyes, this will be actually the last game they play, of course, in the horseshoe. We learned Tuesday that some guys that actually that will and will not be going through senior day, Dan. So let's run through these here. Nicholas Petit Ferrer, Master Teague, Cameron Brown, they will all be going through senior day salutations and whatnot. That list does not, however, include Josh Proctor, Taraja Mitchell, Javante Jean-Baptiste, Tyler Friday, Jaron Cage, and Noah Ruggles. So Dan, what are your initial thoughts seeing that list of guys that, that will and won't be participating in senior day festivities? Yeah, that's not an all-inclusive list there. Of course, there are guys like Chris Olave, Fayer Munford, Haskell Garrett, Tyreek Smith, Jeremy Rucker, who we already knew would be going through senior day. But I think those ones are interesting in particular because Nicholas Petit Frere, Master Teague, and Cam Brown are all redshirt juniors. And so the thing that makes senior day more interesting than usual this year is that extra year of eligibility. So all those other guys, Javante, I include him there. He actually is a redshirt junior, but guys like Taraja Mitchell and Jerron Cage and Noah Ruggles, under typical circumstances, this would be it for them. They'd be exhausting their eligibility, but they've got the opportunity to come back and use that additional year of eligibility next year. And so it's interesting that it's probably most interesting that those guys have decided not to go through senior day, because I think generally if a guy's deciding not to go through senior day, that probably means he... Uh, thinks he's going to be back next year because otherwise he'd probably want to go through that. None of those names are, if any of those guys come back, none of them are huge surprises. I think Josh Proctor and Tyler Friday are two who are already expected back because they suffered season-ending injuries this year. And so it was always expected that they would come back and play next year. Jerron Cage, Noah Ruggles, those are a couple guys who said in recent interviews that they hadn't decided yet. Again, this doesn't necessarily mean that they've decided anything. Ryan Day made that point on Tuesday that he wouldn't read into it too much because he doesn't think most guys have made those decisions. But the fact that they've decided not to go through senior day, I I do think that says something about the fact that they're at at the very least keeping that door open 
to come back. Taraja Mitchell's an interesting one to me because he's one that I almost wonder, again, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but guy's an Ohio State captain. I do wonder, though, it's like, okay, he's lost his starting job to steal chambers at this. What's his role even going to be if he comes back next year? So that, that, that's an interesting one. If we get a chance to talk to him possibly next week before the Michigan game, when captains usually talk, I'd be interested to hear where his line of thinking is on that because that's an interesting one where coming back doesn't necessarily precipitate a bigger role for him. And I think a guy who's kind of in a similar situation to that who is going through senior day is Master T because, again, I'd be interested to hear where Master is in this decision process because he's a guy that, you know, yeah, I mean, he's probably not in a position right now to go to the NFL and get drafted, but right now he's third on a running back depth chart. You know, he's a guy, he, he technically still has two more years of eligibility if that additional year of eligibility. Would it make sense for him to test the waters and, and and see what's out there in the transfer portal, it might. Again, I don't want to speculate too much, but in this case, I'm a little more comfortable doing it because he, he's made the decision to go through senior day, which at least in my mind indicates that he is thinking about leaving Ohio State after this year. N- Nicholas Petit-Frere, not a surprise if that's what he ultimately decides to do. He's a guy that some people have projected as a first round draft pick. So I won't be surprised if he ends up entering the NFL draft. And Cam Brown, I mean, I remember talking to him in August and he was talking about how he thought last year was going to be his money year. I think he called it something like that. So I've always kind of had the vibe that Cam Brown would be a guy that would uh, look at going to the NFL after this season, even though he's a redshirt junior. So again, he's a guy I think we're actually going to talk to on Wednesday night. So we'll be interested to see if he talks any more about that and if he actually has made a decision. But interesting uh, that, that those three in particular have decided they will go through senior day festivities. I tried to get an answer out of Garrett Wilson and Zach Harrison on Tuesday as well about whether they, where this might be their final home game at Ohio Stadium. Zach Harrison succinctly responded to me, we've got to beat Michigan with a smile. But Garrett Wilson did acknowledge that he is, uh, quote, most definitely thought about the possibility that this could be his final home game at Ohio Stadium. And uh, I don't think his NFL draft stock has ever been higher than it is right now. So uh, I don't think anyone will be surprised or blame him if he decides to go test the NFL waters after this season. Let me just throw in there as well about Cam Brown. That one just kind of raises my eyebrow because obviously coming off of the Achilles tear last year, this was going to be potentially his year to to possibly start the, the whole year, have a healthy season, but it hasn't always gone that way because he's dealt with injury issues on and off this whole season too. So to me, I would think, come back another year and, and have another full year that you can get some tape on there with, even if you you are dealing with some injury issues that cost you some time, but you know, he's traded on and off as a starting cornerback for, I say with seven banks. So that one just is, is one that, that is interesting to me. It will be interesting to see what he has to say on Wednesday, but Dan, we've got another game against a team in the state of Michigan coming up the following week, of course, which will be the first time since 2019, another trip to the big house for Ohio state. And one of our listeners actually asked a question about that matchup. Kid Buckeye asks us or says and asks us, fans like to speculate that the coaching staff is something special for the Michigan game. Jim Tressel used to do this and mastered the wrinkle, Kid Buckeye says, for the game. Do you think Coach Day has any specific wrinkles or just plans on attacking the weaknesses of the two in the two remaining games? Yeah, I don't know that he necessarily has a bunch of things saved up just specifically for Michigan. But what I will say about this question is 
I never buy it when the coaches say we never look ahead. We're, we're, we're not thinking about games down the line in the season because I think back to last year's game against Clemson where we saw Ohio State do a lot of different things in that game than we had seen all year. And now, granted, it's easier to do that when you only play five regular season games versus playing 12 regular season games. But I absolutely believe that there are wrinkles for this final four or five game stretch, whatever it might end up being here. I do believe that there are are tricks Ohio State still has in its bag that it hasn't unveiled yet. And so it could be this week against Michigan State. It could be next week against Michigan. It could be any game left on the schedule because presumably every single game Ohio State is going to play now is going to be against a ranked opponent and they all have enormous stakes. I think there are absolutely things they haven't shown us yet. And I think it does go back to the point of what we were talking about with the Purdue game earlier of at the end of that, the second half of that game, the defense was purposely vanilla. They weren't showing much on defense at the end of that game. And that doesn't mean that they're okay with not playing well on defense, but it also means they purposely weren't doing a whole lot on defense. They purposely weren't putting much on film that other teams could look at. And so I, I do think there's we're going to see some different things in all of these games here down the stretch. I do think there's probably things that they have prepared for each of these games and that they've saved up for each of these games in hopes of exploiting whatever weaknesses each of these teams have. I, I don't know that it, the Michigan game is necessarily uh, higher on that list than any other because ultimately... Uh, of course, the game, it's the biggest game, but all of these games matter a lot if you want to win a national championship. And so I, I think any one of these games, there's definitely the possibility of some new wrinkles that, that we haven't seen yet that you know they, they've been holding back on. And it'll be interesting to see uh, what that ultimately looks like. All right, Dan, we've had our fill of football. Not really, because we could always talk more about, obviously, Ohio State football, but let's talk about some Ohio State basketball here because we've gotten three games under our belts now with the Buckeyes. Monday night's game, of course, was the first game in which Ohio State actually finally kind of looked like a top 25 team in the country, beating Bowling Green State by a wide margin. That's something that they failed to do in the first two games of the season. They only beat Akron by one point. And then when they played Niagara last Friday, it was a six-point game with like a minute to go. Ohio State just happened to hit some free throws at the end to end up making that one a 10-point game. But now, of course, the competition is going to ramp up here very soon. And Dan, just from your perspective watching those first three games, what have you seen from the Ohio State basketball team and what are your main takeaways? Yeah, I will admit that I did not watch really any of the Niagara game. So oh, I'm how mostly, I'm mostly going off of the, the first game against Akron and a Monday night's game against Bowling Green. But I think Monday night's game was the type of game that you want to see. It's kind of like we almost talked about a football team earlier in the year of us first couple games kind of slogging through. And then Monday is when we finally saw them take care of business against an inferior opponent, the way you want to see them take care of business against an inferior opponent where they were really balanced scoring the ball. They, they played great defense. And so I, I think, I think we've seen progress in all three games. I think they've progressively played a little bit better in all of these games. Now, much bigger test coming up on Thursday night against Xavier, which we'll talk about in a couple minutes. But, you know, I think we've seen some good progress there. I think the big question remains, 
okay, we know they can rely on EJ Liddell to be a consistent guy every night. It's who else can they rely on every night? The number two guy for me right now is pretty clearly Zed Key. Zed Key has been playing great these first three games right now. And I think right now, if you're looking at who's the number two guy on this team that they can really rely on, it's Zed Key. Now, again, they haven't played a team with that big seven-footer in the post yet. And so the challenges might get tougher for Zed Key. But I really like what we've seen from him. I think, you know, everybody else, it's still, okay, we're still kind of, Waiting to see. Like, I think Malachi Branham has flashed, but he hasn't necessarily been consistent yet. Michi Johnson finally started to flash a little more, I think, late in that Bowling Green game, but we're still kind of waiting to see what maybe we've bought we would see from him. Justin Arns had a better game against Bowling Green. I know you had even written in your preview about that, that he was a guy that they needed a little bit more from. Uh, you know, Eugene Brown's a guy who's flashed a little bit, but okay, this is a guy who can maybe add a little bit more scoring punch off the bench, but you know, one reason we're talking about all of this is because Justice Suing is dealing with an injury. And I personally did not expect to hear what we heard from Chris Holtman on Monday night, where he said that Justice Suing's injury is, quote, significant. And he said, I don't think it's season ending, which leaves open the possibility that it could be season ending when the indication a week ago was that, oh, if this was just a minor injury and he was going to be fine. And, and now it sounds like they could be without Justice Suing for a long time. So, Griffin, just how big a blow is that for Ohio State? I think it's a huge blow because think about it. We just did the basketball draft. You picked EJ Liddell number one. I picked Justice Suing number two. And, and Coach Holman was talking about the fact that without Dwayne— I would have, too, for the record. I know I give you crap about how my uh, team that I drafted has been outscoring yours. But if I would have taken Justice Suing second as well. He can do so many things. He can play anywhere from point guard to really the four, depending on the lineup for Ohio State. He's so versatile. He can facilitate offense. He can get his own shot. He can score in the post. He can hit threes. He can do a lot of things. And Chris Ullman said before the season that without Dwayne Washington, Justice Suing could be a guy that is a primary play, primary playmaker down the stretch in games for Ohio State, a guy that has the ball in his hands late in games. And the whole thing with his injury is very interesting because it's, it's not a new thing. It's actually the same issue that he had at the end of last season, which if you remember watching Ohio State's postseason run through the Big Ten tournament in particular, they had a lot of guys banged up. Of course, Seth Towns is off on the sideline running on the treadmill because he has knee issues. And Justice Swing was one of those guys. He had a towel thing that he was doing stuff with his kind of groin area or his upper leg. And so it was clear that he was banged up. We never really heard anything concrete about that, though. We go through the offseason kind of assuming that's fine. And then right before the season starts, I think we had a Friday media availability. And we were asking Justice Swing about, the, about his injury from the previous season. And he said that it hadn't healed as well as he expected it to. So that was kind of, okay, maybe this is, is something. And then we hear, of course, that he couldn't play in the exhibition because of that injury. But then, of course, he plays in the season opener and the second game in the season as well, even though he was coming off the bench and didn't play all that many minutes. But he looked a lot better in the second game than he did in the first game. So then suddenly we're thinking, okay, this is probably a thing in the past. Then even when just 80 minutes before tip-off on Monday, we get the availability report from the Ohio State program that says just assuming he's going to be unavailable because of that injury. That wasn't a good sign, but still at that point, you're kind of thinking, okay, well, this is something he's been dealing with, but he'll probably play the next game or two games from now. But then after the game, of course, Chris Holman says that they actually sent Justice Suing to see a specialist in Cleveland about his issue. And, and, and Justice Suing is kind of confused about the whole thing. He doesn't really understand why it didn't get better 
And of course, it's kind of hard to speculate about it or think about it too much because we don't know exactly what the injury is. So that leaves this whole kind of vague thing up in the air. And the fact that Chris Holman says that there's no timetable for his return. So he says he knows when Seth Towns is coming back, it's supposed to be in December, but he doesn't actually know when Justice Suing is coming back. So that just leaves things really wide open in the air for Ohio State. And that will be a storyline to keep an eye on moving forward 100%. I thought it was kind of funny that Chris Holtman's comments included him saying, I don't think it's season ending, but also saying it was up in the air whether he'd play on Thursday. Chris, it did not sound like he's going to play on Thursday. I know you don't want to give anything away to Xavier, but it certainly did not sound like he was going to be available on Thursday or anytime soon. No, and that's going to be something that's that could be a big hit to this Ohio State team because that was one guy... That was a guy that was named a captain before the season, and, and he's only had one season actually on the court playing for Ohio State, two in the program. He obviously came over as a transfer from Cal, but that was a guy that Chris Holman was really going to rely on. And now, Ohio State's going to be ramping up in competition, moving ahead from these mid-major matchups that they've been having recently. Xavier is coming up on Thursday. That's a very good basketball program, of course. There's some high-level Big Ten transfers on that team as well that are going to be interesting matchups for Ohio State. And then after that, I think you've got Seton Hall, another Big East team coming up the following Monday. The next game after that is Duke. And then you start playing Big Ten teams with Penn State the very next game after that. So, I mean, there are a lot of... The competition is ramping up here. And I still, despite the fact that we saw a lot of positive signs from Ohio State on Monday, we still have a lot of questions about this team because it's a team that's still finding its identity and trying to figure out where a lot of pieces fit in right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think the next couple of weeks are going to be very telling because I don't know what to think of this Ohio State team right now. Like, I, I do think it's a team that is a work in progress. I think it's one of those teams that is probably going to get better as the season progresses because they do have a lot of young guys playing bigger roles, a lot of moving parts. And so I, I think it, it could be a while before we really know exactly what this team is. But certainly I think we'll learn a lot on Thursday night. I'm going to level with you. It's football season. I don't know anything about Xavier basketball. Have you had a chance to study Xavier at all? And what are you expecting on Thursday night? I just started writing my preview. So I'm not the, an expert on Xavier, but, but a couple of notes, I guess I would say. Xavier actually only beat Niagara, who Ohio State played in the second game of the year, by three points in their season opener. So the, the, in a co common opponent there, they both kind of struggled with Niagara. I don't know how much you can really read into that, though. Uh, a player to definitely watch for Xavier, a guy to, to keep an eye on is Paul Scruggs. He's, I think, is a fifth-year guard. He was a four-star top 40 prospect in the class of 2017, I believe. He's a guy that was a second-team All-Big East guy last year. He's averaging 20 points a game this year. I think he's like a 6'5", 200-pound guard. A couple of Big Ten transfers, as I mentioned before, Jack Nungy. He, I believe, is on Iowa last season. Uh, a, a big guy that can stretch the floor. He's going to be a very interesting piece as well. Jerome Hunter, who's a Pickerington, Ohio native. He, he was an Indiana player a couple of years ago. Now he is on Xavier as well. It's definitely going to be a tough game. And I'll be honest, I would not be surprised if Ohio State actually drops this game at all. Although we will see because we've seen, obviously, a couple of different gears from this Ohio State team in the first three games. Just a few minutes left here on Real Pod Wednesdays. I think one other thing we should probably talk about is Ohio State had some really big recruiting news on Saturday before the game against Purdue as Ohio State landed a commitment from Sonny Styles, who, if you talk to anybody who really follows recruiting, he was the number one guy in that 2023. Another guy from Pickerington, which you just mentioned, from Pickerington Central. His dad uh, was Lorenzo Styles, who was a linebacker for Ohio State. This was one of those recruitings in, recruitments you never quite knew where it was going to go. His older brother, 
uh, Lorenzo Styles Jr. plays at Notre Dame. So there was a thought that you know, he might want to join his brother at Notre Dame. But I know in all the times that I've talked to him, I did get the sense that Ohio State was in a good position with him. He visited Ohio State a lot once recruits were able to start visiting again. And ultimately, he decided to pull the trigger and commit to Ohio State on Saturday. For a class that had gotten off to a pretty slow start until a couple weeks ago and, and Joshua Padilla, the offensive lineman from Wayne High School, committed, Ohio State had only had one commit in the 2023 class. So I think there was definitely some angst from those who follow recruiting about the slow start to the 2023 class. But I don't think you could do anything bigger to get the ball rolling, get some momentum in that class than Sonny Styles, who a, a guy who is so highly touted that a lot of people were asking on Saturday night, can he reclassify and play right now? Because he's a guy, he's listed as a safety. He could be a linebacker. You think about what that bullet position is. That's probably a perfect role for him. It's going to depend on what the defense looks like in 2023, because who knows who the defensive coaches are even going to be in 2023. But he's a guy, I've seen him at camps. I've seen him play. He's a special talent. He's got all the tools to be a star. And he's a guy that I will not be surprised if he's playing right away in 2023. Oh yeah, that's a massive pillar land for that 2023 class. I've seen him a few times as well at camps and things like that. And I've thought from day one that he's really kind of a unicorn player because of just the versatility of his body type and his athleticism. If you watch his, his tape as well, he can do so many different things and be molded in different ways for this Ohio State team, which as you mentioned, is exactly what in the modern day on defense, the, the guys are kind of looking for, like Isaiah Simmons is a guy that is talked about a lot it's in, in that type of role as a guy that can do different things with that type of body type. And yeah, that's, that's a guy that I could easily see being a, a big star of the future for Ohio State. And, 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 and defense is back in style at Ohio State, or back in styles, you could say as well. If, if we don't want to finish this on a dad joke, are there any, <laughs> any other burning thoughts on your mind that you want to uh, get out there to the people this week? I don't know, burning thoughts. I, I will say, uh, just to, to circle back on a basketball thing, just because it was floating around in my head, uh, you talk about Zed Key being you know, so good right now, having double-digit points, I think, in every uh, all of the first three games. I actually asked Chris Holtman after last night's game, what, well, what about Kyle Young? Because he hasn't started the last two games, and of course he's working his way back from an issue, but how do you take Zed Key off the court if he's playing this well and be in your second-leading scorer for the team? And Chris Holman didn't really give a definitive answer because I think that's one of the things that he's probably going to have to grapple with this season too is, man, am, am I going to take Zed Key off the floor when he's scoring this well for a team that, that doesn't have a natural second option really on offense besides EJ Liddell? So I think that's another basketball storyline if you're looking for one to delve into to, to watch is if Kyle Young gets in the mix in the starting lineup instead of Zed Key. I'm going to finish this off with three game predictions. Wake Forest beats Clemson this weekend, Iowa State beats Oklahoma, and Utah beats Oregon. Wow, the th three, three, th well the Wake Forest one probably isn't, what's the line on that one? Clemson is a four point favorite the last Makes time sense. I checked. Makes sense, And Utah is actually a favorite against Oregon. Oh wow, Th those will be some good games to watch. Wake Forest, Clemson should be particularly fun, especially with that high powered, high octane Wake Forest offense against a good Clemson defense. But yeah, that's why I'm picking Wake Forest though, because Clemson's offense has struggled all year long. And so to me, unless Clemson's defense plays lights out, it, is Clemson going to have the offense to keep up with Wake Forest? I say no. I don't got anything else, Dan. I'm, I'm looking forward to the, this Michigan State-Ohio State game on Saturday. Hopefully it's not too cold, especially with the noon game. 
Ohio State will not be wearing its blackout uniforms. I don't know how that will affect the temperature, maybe with the attitudes of the fans who wanted to see them wear those, but it'll be just as exciting regardless. Yeah, it doesn't get any bigger than this, like I said before. Top 10 game at Fashu. Final home game of the year. I can't believe we're already saying that this season, like every season, has absolutely flown by. So I can't believe it at this time. We will have made our last trip to Fashu for the year. But huge game coming up on Saturday. Noon kickoff on ABC. Ohio State, Michigan State. We will, of course, be there and we'll have full coverage of the game on 11warriors.com. And then we'll be back here next week to talk about the game as Ohio State prepares to conclude its regular season with its rivalry game against Michigan, the team up north in Ann Arbor. So thanks again for listening in to Real Pod Wednesdays. For Griffin Strom, I'm Dan Hope, and we'll talk to you next week.